0: Daddy. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, you. listening to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Thank you for the outstanding Ohio sh- Show hosted by my daddy. Hosted, hosted by my daddy. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. This is episode 62. Today I have the extreme pleasure of talking to Dr. Duke Pesto, who is a professor of English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and also the director of Freedom Project Academy and we'll get a lot of detail about that as we talk about talk to Dr. Duke in the show. Uh, Dr. Duke is also well known as a critic of an analyst of the common core that has taken over public education and in many regards private education as well in the United States. So we'll we'll talk through those points today. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank uh, for our audience, we always like to talk about your background as an Ohioan because you are in Wisconsin now, but could you tell the audience where you grew up, where you went to school? And yeah,
1: you- I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, West Park, and uh, went to Lakewood St. Edwards High School up there, and then went to John Carroll University. Oh. I did spend one semester at Miami, Miami University in Oxford, got my uh, master's degree and undergraduate degrees from John Carroll before I left the state to get a PhD, and I've been a university professor ever since.
0: Okay, great. Uh, who, who were some of your early influences growing up that impacted you and dro- helped you get on the path that you are today?
1: Yeah, I was fortunate to go to Catholic schools, had 20 years of Catholic schools, uh, before the Catholic schools became really corrupted. Uh, by the time I was graduating from high school in 1985, the schools were uh, already starting to take it downward turn. They were becoming more like public schools. But I, I got through them before they really became secularized and corrupted. And uh, so many of my teachers there were outstanding educators, people who, gave, who were really committed to education. And I owe them a lot because they gave me a, just a comprehensive education. Uh, that has served me very well moving forward.
0: That, that's great. Uh, it, something that is a really common theme in, in your presentations about Common Core, and it, it, it's where I want to start off. And, you know, my my perspective is there's never been a good federal intervention in education, but I think it's also gotten worse over time. Uh, what, what's, what's your sense of the federal role in education in the last 100, 120 years?
1: Well, you know, we didn't have anything like a public school system until about 1850, Uh, so the first 80 years of the Republic, uh, and the founding fathers knew very, very well that the minute you get yourself involved with federalized education, then inevitably the education would come to serve the state and not the people. And that's exactly what did happen. Uh, and so the, yes, and then to your second point, that's exactly right, um, I can think of nothing in the last hundred years, no thing that the federal government took over, that they had no right to take over. They took it over anyway. I can't think of a single example where they have made it better or cheaper or more efficient. And they've never, when, even though they failed at the federal level to fix our problems, uh, they make them worse. They never turned it back in the States. And so I was screaming for a lot of years. It's too late now, actually, I think. To make immediate, to, to immediately fix our problems because uh, the fed, federal government now is entrenched as the uh, overseer of American schools. We're, we have a situation now, and people don't even realize this, that uh, because of what the Republicans did in 2015, Republican House and Senate, December 2015, they, uh, four days before Christmas, when no one was paying attention, uh, right before a holiday, Paul Ryan gave his Republican caucus basically a day. To read an 1100 page bill that was rammed through the republican house and the republican senate it's called the essa act the every student succeeds act and what people don't recognize is that because of that for the first time in american history republicans could transfer control of education legally to the federal government we've never had that before and so now for instance um All the states in the Union, including Ohio, if Ohio wants to create an educational plan for Ohio citizens, it now has to be approved by the Department of Education in Washington. And if they don't like what you're doing or or if Ohio, you decide that you really don't like how much of this Common Core-inspired curriculum is in your classrooms, you have to get Betsy DeVos' permission to get rid of it, and she's not giving that permission. So uh, right now, state ability to impact their own educational decisions is very limited, and it has to be approved by Washington. That's only been true for three years, and it is unbelievable that it was Republicans who were the ones who forced that through.
0: <laughs> the question I always ask about government interventions and is what's, what's the motivation – well, and, and I know you, you, you talk a lot about this, but what, what are two to three things that has motivated the federal government to be involved in this takeover of education? Well, the three main things would be control, control, and control in mean, the federal <laughs> government. Uh, and and we, we now know, and I think we
1: I, – I, I hope we're living in an era now where most conservative people – most Republican people even, uh, recognize that when it comes to Washington, D.C., you do not have two political parties. The Republicans and the Democrats in the Beltway aren't really noticeably different. We all have our own stories, right,
0: Right. about electing our local guys, sending him to Washington. And two years after he's in Washington,
1: he's not the same guy anymore. All the things he said he was going to do, he doesn't do because, A, the Republican leadership will freeze him out of committees, won't let him do anything if he actually tries to reform, and then he get, becomes part of the Beltway uh, culture. And so, uh, when it comes to inside the beltway washington culture whether you're a republican or a democrat makes not the least little bit of difference it's about control uh, and they think that they should have the they should have the reins they should they're smarter than everybody else they uh they want the power and the privilege and the prestige that comes with overseeing the health care overseeing education uh and ultimately that control uh is more important to them than any kind of effective education, just like uh, the control of our ed- our bodies, the control of our health care, is more important to many in Washington, D.C., than actually the quality of the care we get. So, too, the control of education, its perks, its prerogatives, the money that's used to fund it, uh, that's more important to that way, uh, Republicans and Democrats, than is the actual quality of the education our kids are getting.
0: Some... <laughs> something i i have trouble wrapping my head around with with that is you you talk about the the control piece of it uh, the the most common argument that i that i hear and i i had this when i told a couple of my friends that i was going to be talking to you about this topic is well, you it, it's, you have to have a, a national standard for education because if kids move from state to state, uh, the, everyone needs to be learning the same thing. Uh, is, that a, is that the most common argument you've heard to try to justify nationalizing this?
1: It, it's such a stupid argument. That even the left doesn't make it anymore. You, when you, we were fighting this common core problem. That was the, that was the initial way they sold that. That every kid in every school in every state, city, and municipality should be learning the exact same thing at the exact same hour the exact same day. That kind of automated, regimented, stupid kind of uh, outcome-based education doesn't work. And it's utterly irrelevant. I mean, our, that, that, that presumes something that every mom and dad knows is not true. Our kids are not the same kid look, if you've got two or three kids in your own family, you know that your daughters and sons don't always learn the same way, that what your oldest boy is good at in terms of academics, the the second boy is not going to be, or he'll be having a completely different set of skills. The idea that you're going to take 60 million American school kids and reduce them to the same kind of education is to strip them of their individuality, to strip them of what makes them learners to begin with, and turn them into basically robots and cogs in a very utilitarian Type system. This is called standardization, right? Uh, way back in the 1930s, as the, the Nazis were ramping up and Albert Einstein uh, was fleeing Germany to come to this country, he said, speak, Watching what the Nazis were doing, they were standardizing education. There was one national standard, one Reich standard for education, and that standard was going to encompass all children that there would be no deviation from that standard, that those standards would be rigorously tested, and those standards would be highly sociological, not just educational. It's exactly what Common Core does. And Albert Einstein famously said, we standardize automobiles. You should never standardize children. As somebody, Einstein, who was notoriously getting low grades in math in the regimented schools of Germany, wasn't until he stepped outside of that box and came to this country uh, later in his life that he was able to accelerate his, his education and his, his contributions to science. This idea that we want standardized children, one size fits all children, it's purely a social justice construct. It is purely a socialistic way of looking at our kids. All kids are the same kid. All we care about is not where kids start, what their intelligence levels are, how hard they work, what their aptitudes are. Those are individual decisions about kids we don't want to make anymore. We just want to make sure that after their education is over, they're the same kid. We want to process them, and that's bad news for everybody. It's such a losing argument for the left that they don't even make it anymore. It's been five years since I've seen anybody seriously make the argument that the purpose of standardized education is to require every kid everywhere to be taking the same kind of education it 's what they want, but they're smart enough not to make the argument because they know it 's a losing argument
0: you know going back to that motivation and you use you you said the word three times control 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 uh, it also seems to me to be a ne- very nefarious effort because the, the the elites the establishment the ruling class, whatever your terminology is. They don't send their kids to these institutions. They, they're, they're not part of this. They, <laughs> I mean, they, they get out of it. I, mean, I, I saw in your presentation, Bill Gates, who put the money behind Common Core, a lot of it, his kids don't go to these kind of situations. No, you're right. And to every gullible mom and dad out there who
1: thinks that, you know, public, public schools are bad but my public school is good or that, um, well these tests are just designed to measure kids' outcomes. That's absolute nonsense. But if these if this educational paradigm was so manifestly just and manifestly excellent that the obama kids would be in it but they're not that the bush kids would be in it but they're not it's the elites you exactly right and it's it already i think it's pretty clear that what we're talking about here is a kind of socialist infiltration of education outcome-based education is ultimately a socialist construct right that in the name of comradeship in the party every kid will be the same kid, it's a very socialist idea, social justice education is the application of social of socialist principles to political and cultural identity in the schools, and so the, whenever you have a socialist state, by the way a socialist state that controls education and educate kids to become part of the, the socialist status party, whenever you have a situation like that there has to be an oligarchy there has to be a small group of elites who, could, who don't have the same indoctrination, who aren't limited in the same ways that the rest of the populace is. There has to be a governing cabal who get the best of everything, who are the elite. They do, they're not held to the same standards. It's, we mentioned Obamacare already. It's the same thing. If Obamacare was so fantastic then why didn't the democrats republicans and the president take it themselves they managed to vote themselves their, their cadillac plan they didn't take it you got to take it we don't and that tells you all right anytime you're the the smarter than the rest of us elite progressive uh, uh, politicians are forcing things on you that they're smart enough not to take themselves you have a pretty good sense of what's happening here
0: right uh- you know another common argument that I that I hear, and you know you, we've, we've talked about the, the standardization and such is schools school districts make the argument that well we have to be able to measure how kids are doing so we can justify the the, the job that we're doing as a as a school district. Uh, what, what's your counter-argument to that in, in, in nationalizing education? Teachers
1: have always measured kids. I mean, every teacher who gives a test, gives a quiz, assigns a grade is measuring kids. It's not They're pretending that this is so bloody complicated. Look, I know two things. First of all, the farther away from the classroom that the so-called standards are controlled, the weaker the education. The standard The only standard you need is a, t- a competent teacher, a willing-to-learn student, and a parent who's involved. That's the standard. Look, math hasn't changed. Am I wrong about this? In 2,500 years, <laughs> the basic math we teach kids through high school has not changed one iota. We have not invented new numbers. We have not invented new formulas. Geometry is geometry. Nothing much has changed in 2,500 years. In other words, the way we teach our kids, every five years we reinvent the wheel. It was never broken. If you, here's the thing, if you, if you know, and this is the standard, if you know, you want your college seniors, as many as possible, to be ready for calculus, right? That's, that's about the best you can do in in an excellent educational system. By the time kids are juniors and seniors, they'll be prepared perhaps for calculus. If you want to get them to that point, that's your standard. That means by ninth grade, they ought to be doing certain kinds of math. By seventh grade, they ought to be doing certain kinds of math skills. Same thing. If by the time your kids are seniors in high school, you want them to be able to read the great books of Western culture and get a sense of what they mean. You want them to be able to open Shakespeare or Milton or Dante and be able to understand what they're reading. If that's what you want by the time they're seniors in high school, then you should have them reading at a certain level in third grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, eleventh grade. There's your standard. Once you've done that, let the teachers do it, right? Let the teachers assign tests to make sure kids are working at those levels. What happened was is that it, prior to the 1960s, uh, pretty much that's what happened. Local schools set the standard. And there was no need for a state or national standard because you do what you wanted. You wanted kids to be as literate as possible and as mathematically gifted as uh, or talented as possible. And so you set things up accordingly. But then in the late 60s and 70s, the districts took over. And in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the states really took over. And since the 90s, you've really had all of this now shoved to the federal level. And so the more distance between the art, the artificial standard in Washington and the individual classroom in, in Ohio, the worse the education is going to be. We've got to backtrack that, get the feds out of it, and then get the states out of it, and then let local communities, even local schools, whose moms pay the property taxes that pay for those schools, let those decisions be made much more locally. With the idea that what we want is high-performing math kids, high-performing reading kids, and that's simple. It's that simple. That's you don't need any standard broader than that.
0: Agreed. That's something I was hoping you could shed some light on for the audience. So I, I gave you my background. So I'm particularly distressed beyond besides the, the content that we'll talk a little bit more here in a moment. The the decrease in physical education and recess time and experiential education what have you seen on those fronts as 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 nationalization continues well you know on the one hand the same progressive educrats who
1: argue about the obesity problem are the same progressive educrats that have so regularized the schools that there's really no time for serious play or experimentation or fun um so that that's very true i think you're right about that it's but it's a consequence right the the if this is about control the way we know it is, then what they're trying to do is jam into every academic school day as much of the indoctrination, as much of the politics, as much of the world-building ideologies as they can. And so this is much more about, in the public schools, framing kids, evolving them politically, uh, molding them to fit a certain social, psychosocial cast of mind that is very progressive, very statist, Uh, actual intellectual achievement is not really high now. So here's the problem. If you're pushing intellectual achievement in the schools like we used to do when you and I went to school, if you're pushing academic achievement, then by definition, a lot of kids aren't going to achieve right? Only certain ones will excel. They all won't excel equally. There will kids who will be quote unquote left behind. No child left behind was a disaster. Uh, It's the argument that every kid uh, should be pulled forward. And I get that. Every kid should get a basic education. But what no child left behind really meant was we're going to sacrifice high achieving students, high achieving kids. We're going to compromise their education artificially so that everybody seems to get a similar education, because what happens is whenever you raise a standard, whenever you ask more of kids, that means that there are more kids who can't do it. And we're now concerned not with what kids, we're not concerned anymore in education with what kids can do, what their their limits are, how far they can go. We're concerned with making sure that every kid is the same kid. And again, if you're going to get 60 million American school kids to exactly the same place, it has to, by definition, be a lower place. Because again, uh, it, for every American school kid to be comfortably at the same level means you have to artificially hold down any kid who could get, get ahead so that you have this fake equivalence.
0: That, that's such a strong point. And what, what's interesting is these schools have a best practice model that they can observe, but they, but they, but they don't implement it. And what I mean by that is, as an athletic coach, which which I've done at a variety of levels, is you play to people's strengths and you stay the hell away from their weaknesses. That's a Bob Knight quote. But it speaks to your point about everyone's got different skills, and you want to try to maximize and grow those uh, because interest is going to. Interest, confidence, I mean, all those things are going to occur from that. Not that you can't work on weaknesses, but often you can lift those weaknesses up by just focusing on the strengths and, and letting it filter down to those areas. Well,
1: the interesting thing that you brought up is best practices. What you and I mean by best practices is that which is going to maximize a kid's education. But it doesn't mean that anymore. What The kind of pedagogy that's being pushed by the Department of Education, the way our teachers are being trained in big progressive universities has the practices has nothing to do with educational achievement anymore. Best practices means how do we socially uh, accommodate kids? How do we psychologically evolve kids a certain way? How do we turn kids into tolerant, uh, uh, diverse uh, collectivists? How do we shape kids, mold them? How do we uh, preempt parents, the right of parents to teach kids sexuality? How do we teach kids Radical sexuality at younger and younger ages. So best practices, what you and I mean by that in terms of how do we make kids excel as much as possible in their academic study, that's not what they mean anymore. Best practices is all about holistic psychosocial education. It's all about values. It's all about uh, certain progressive initiatives that matter very much, like uh, inclusion, like uh, a proper understanding of global warming, uh, sex, radical sex, again, at early ages. Uh, they're trying to break down the schools, uh, the, the ties between the parents and the kids, the, the kids' local traditions, the kids' religious backgrounds, these things that separate kids and make them different. Uh, those have to be uh, pasted over. They have to be uh, unilaterally... Um, Regularized, and so you see. What again? It, it, the, the simple way of describing it is: the public schools now are, are, are seizing the rights and responsibilities of parents, and basically parenting your. They're not necessarily educating your kids first, but they're parenting your your kids. The decisions that you morally and ethically and spiritually, religiously, have the right to make for your kids, they're now making for you. On top of whatever else, whatever else learning is going on.
0: What I was hoping we could do next, so I, I told you the, the presentation that I that I watched you give, and, and you just you just you actually segued into it into it perfectly. I, I've got some I've got some scenarios I want to throw at you. If you can give give specific examples of what you're seeing in the Common Core curriculum and the administration of it, does that sound good? Sure. Okay. So the first one was the confidentiality of of the testing process and the documentation of it. Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, and this should be a huge wake-up call for your parents. Your kid's education in your public, your local public school is now has now been subordinated to these big standardized national tests that emanate out of Washington, D.C. And here's the thing. If these tests are supposed to be the ultimate measure of education in America, why is it that your teachers can't see them? Why is it? that mom and dad, you're not allowed to see your kids' tests. Why is it that when your kids take these national tests, they have to sign a waiver saying they will not discuss the questions on the tests with you? And here's another question. If the, the purpose of these tests is to measure our kids' performance, and yet our teachers, the teachers who have to teach our kids, do not ever see the tests, do not ever see the specifics of the tests, then what value does this have for education? You're giving kids – you're subordinating American school kids' education to a series of tests that classroom teachers who teach the kids never see. In other words, there is no pragmatic educational value to your kid's teacher for these tests. It tells them nothing. And yet, the complete curriculum has been subordinated to these tests. So that tells you one thing. The purpose of these tests is not educational, it's not metric, they're not measuring anything. The purpose of these tests is to gather lots and lots and lots of data on your kids for the federal
0: government, but it
1: is not to improve classroom
0: teaching. Okay. Next one, and you've alluded to this a little bit. What are some specific examples of the oversexualization in the curriculum? Well, there's a document called
1: the National Sexuality Standards, and it was produced about 2012, the very same year that the Common Core Standards were really being pushed into the schools. And what it is, it's a comprehensive sexuality education program. What's happening in your kids' – and this is not necessarily Common Core. It's Common Core related. One thing you have to understand, that Common Core mainly was a, a, a system of controlling education at the federal level that then would allow all sorts of different – uh, I call it a Trojan horse. All sorts of just different uh, related programs into the schools in the name of, of standards. One of them is sexuality. And so, under the Reagan administration in 19, you may remember in the 1980s, Reagan's education department was all about abstinence only education. You would teach kids biology in the sophomore year of high school for a couple of weeks. You teach them in biology class about sperm and egg and bird and bee, right? Mm-hmm. But that was it. There was never any sexual morality. There was never any teaching them about condoms. There was never any uh, homosexual, transgender type stuff. It was just simple biology. Uh, And the progressive left lost their ever-loving minds. They they could not understand that. They could not process it. And so for 30 years, they had been working on a comprehensive sexuality answer to abstinence education. And comprehensive sexuality studies means... That every aspect of your kid's education, starting in kindergarten, would have some sex and some sexuality introduced into it. And not just in biology class, in English, in math, in social studies, uh, in science, in biology class. Your kids are going to be exposed not just to the biology of sex, sperm and egg. But they would be exposed to sexual values, sexual attitudes, sexual situations. They would be exposed to very young birth control, birth control options. Uh, they would start, this public school started mainstreaming homosexuality and now transgenderism in the elementary school curriculum. And the insidious thing about this is because it's comprehensive, it means that your kids aren't just going to get this kind of education in one class that you could opt out of. How do you opt your kid out of English class? How do you opt your kid out of math and science class? How do you opt your kid out of social studies? You can't. That's what makes it comprehensive. They've put it in and they've buried it in all the other subject matter so that even if you as a mom object to this, you have no ability to stop it. Look, just 15, 10 years ago, if the the, the public schools were mandated to let you know as a parent if they were going to show sexually based information to your kids now they're not even notifying you now they're not even telling you and if you go and ask to see the curriculum they will not show it to you that's how far we've come in just one decade in freezing parents out of their kids education
0: okay next one and this is kind of a broad brush but i know it's your specialty reading cursive writing and english well, you know, it's difficult to turn math class into an avenue of
1: sexuality. They're doing it, but it's difficult. It's much more easy to control the books your kids read. Uh, take the about six, there was a bunch of articles about five, six years ago that were documenting how public school libraries were removing the classics. There was a fire sale. Public school, and I, I urge you, mom and dad, go to your kid's public school library. Just like walk into your public school and ask to see the books in the library. You will be stunned to find. that there are almost none of the great classics of the Western world. They're, they've been mostly removed. You will find instead all kinds of modern kid-lit books, all kinds of books about Johnny having two daddies and Sally's two mommies and uh the story of jazz, the transgender elementary students. What they've done is they've turned literature, English class, into away from a let's read at a high level great books into let's read at a political, for political indoctrinational readings. Let's read even non-literary texts. Let's just stop reading literature. Let's read documents from the, the Department of Education. Let's read all sorts of treaties about the environment. So, in English class now has become not about reading and writing and not about uh, literacy. It's now about reading for X, reading for this particular social justice, that particular social justice, reading for this issue, this cause, and sex plays a huge Huge, huge part of this. And again, remember your kids' sexuality education now isn't just about the mechanics of biological sex. It's about sexual attitudes, sexual preferences. You're enduring in kids. You're trying to create an attitude in little little kids that is quote unquote sex positive, that is open to sex, that is open to sex across genders, that is open to the idea that gender itself is nothing but a social construct. So that's where you are with this stuff. And it is Brainwash, And you're, you're doing it to kids so little that it can only be called brainwashing. Back when it was just heterosexuality, the only kind of sexuality that appeared in the schools, we never, ever taught five- and six- and seven-year-olds the mechanics of heterosexual sex. They were too young. But now, under the wake of all this new sexuality awareness, we are teaching kids at six and five and six and seven and eight, uh, the mechanics of, of, of transgenderism. And the reason we never taught homo- a heterosexual sex to five, six, and seven-year-olds is because their little minds are too underdeveloped and too too literal to be able to grasp it. But now we're doing it to kids.
0: You had a real interesting thought that you shared about In another presentation about cursive writing and the impact on interpretation and and retaining knowledge, can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, you know, cursive is one of the first things to go. And the the pragmatic argument for that by the educrats is, well, our kids are on the computers, which is bad for them. We we had another survey came out that demonstrated that all this technology in the classroom is actually – hindering education. It's not helping it. But the argument is, is because our kids are on the computer and the modern world demands computer literacy and, and, the, and screen time. And, and there's no cursive writing on computers. It's all it's all just block printing. There's no need to teach kids cursive writing anymore. And that's a big mistake. All the science, all the, the developmental science shows us that teaching kids, particularly young kids, how to write cursive triggers parts of the brain that are not triggered by typing. It, it, and, and when they're forced to write out things in cursive, uh, it is, it, the, the, the hand and the mind and the text are being integrated in ways that they're not when they're sitting in front of screens or even when they're printing. To say nothing of the fact that uh, the that vast majority of our founding documents are all cursive. They were all handwritten. And so we're growing up generations of kids who can't read cursive, which means that the only way they can understand the founding documents is if somebody rewrites them in a different format. And that's dangerous. These kids cannot go to read the First Amendment the way it was written Uh, and then compare it to what their textbook says the First Amendment says because they can no longer read cursive.
0: Science. What are you, you saying there?
1: The next generation science standards are upon us, and they are basically the common core version of what science will become. And it is a low-level sense of science. It is highly ideological. It uh, Basically, it, it's a tool for condemning progress. Western scientific achievement is now seen as exploitative, as polluting, as um, anti social, as anti-human, uh, as anti environment we're teaching kids. We're using science, not surprisingly. And uh, you and I had a conversation on this before we started taping uh, that science now is only science if it conforms to progressive values. So, for instance, um, we we have no real scientific evidence that transgenderism is an actual thing. Uh, biology does not Uh, support the idea that you are whatever you say you are when it comes to your your biological gender. That's a clear-cut case where science has nothing to say about transgenderism, really. And yet... Your kids are being taught transgenderism as if it's actually scientifically, biologically factual. And so you see a situation here you know, where the science, again, is being utterly subordinated to the progressive uh, diktats of, of what they think they have to teach your kids. Well,
0: next one is social studies, which you, you've kind of hit on in a roundabout way, but what, what are you seeing there?
1: Well, you know, we don't teach kids history anymore. And with, for a long time, we've taught them social studies and let, let that sink in. Even before the rise of Common Core, even when we were in school, uh, you, you got social studies. And that should be a pretty shocking thing. Rather than teaching kids history, which is neutral history, which is fact-based history, which can be verified history, which you can approach you could teach kids regardless of their political leanings. We teach kids social science, right? And so it's much more about sociology. It's much more, about, it's less about the facts and realities of our history as the way we sociologically want to present it to our kids. Here's why capitalism is bad, even though it's created your own parents' prosperity. Here's why uh, collectivist view forms of history or government are better, even though the historical record says they're a disaster. Socializing. Our study of history is a very dangerous thing. It is it, it is inherently introducing into the study of history radical political bias.
0: I know I know you have another appointment here. Uh, what I was hoping we could do is maybe schedule a, a part two interview where we could talk about what parents can do, whether it's in the public school system, working with their with their administration and teachers the best they can, or some alternative options in education including your project. Yep, I'd be very happy to come back and do part two. Okay. Well, if you could hold the line for just a moment while I sign off here. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. This was episode 62 with Dr. Duke Pesta, professor of English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and director of the Freedom Project Academy. Thank you for listening and look, look forward to bringing to you part two to talk about some things that parents can do in this. Have a great day.